saying? How would you know? Because I just talk sometimes. Yeah, no, we're way in it. So welcome those that are listening on the web right now. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but you'll, you'll catch up. Um, Jesus is so wonderful that what he will do is he will start to heal areas of our lives, the outer life, like our marriages, maybe healing our bodies, like the ten lepers that came to Jesus and he healed their bodies. Um, and when, they, when the, he prayed for them, they weren't healed instantaneously, which is a great lesson on healing. That just because it doesn't happen instantaneously, don't shut off your faith. It doesn't mean it's not happening. Because Jesus prays for ten lepers, nothing changed in the natural. He says, now go to church and tell the pastor what, what God's done for you. They're like, what? Nothing's been done for me. But as an act of faith, they obey the rabbi and they take an action step and they're headed now to church. And on their way, their skin was completely restored. So they were completely healed. But only one came back, fell down at Jesus' knees and said, thank you. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Because the point of the healing wasn't the healing only. The bigger point was the restoration of a relationship with Jesus. And one out of nine got the more important thing. Right, Mark? Isn't that right? Ten percent. Ten percent. So I want to be part of the ten percent. What about you guys? Ten percent? Are you guys the ten percenters or the ninety percenters? Come on, you got to make a choice right now. You're going to heaven or hell? Come on. Okay. Right. I was a little over the top. Um, I've seen, and this isn't to be negative, just let me say what I've seen in 25 years of pastoring. People are financially devastated. The Lord fixes their finances. Maybe they start tithing. God does some miracles. They begin to prosper. And then they allow that prosperity to pop them right out of church, pop them right out of their rhythm. Um, because they got their need met because God is so good, built the wall around their city, the outside, uh, the financial wall. But they didn't understand that the more important thing was the God who healed their financial world. It was an invitation to a, a, a relationship, a deeper relationship, which is the more important thing because financial prosperity does not heal your soul. And the soul, your soul, is the most important thing you possess. Jesus said, what is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, who you are? Peter um, says, says this, and this is actually in the PowerPoint, um, so you can put this up. First Peter. You got that, Chris? First Peter. Look what Peter says. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See, what had happened to God's people in the book of Nehemiah was, after 110 years... They had allowed the Persian and the Samaritan and other cultures around them, the worldly cultures, to pollute their souls. That's why I'm very, very ardent about the music, the movies, the literature that I, I allow into my home or into my heart, my children's hearts. Um, it can look like we're being somewhat strict, but the point is you do not want to allow poison to be poured into your soul. It pollutes it. 
And what happens is it deadens it to the things of God. Your soul becomes dull. God becomes boring. Church becomes a drag. The Bible becomes archaic because you're spiritually suffocated by the pollution of the spirit of this world. It comes through the airways. It comes through music. It comes through literature. It comes through uh, the um, rationalization of unsaved friends that are not in touch with Jesus. And, And what happens is your soul becomes dull to the things of God and you're not alive spiritually. This is what happened to the people of God. So after um, Nehemiah, whose name is the comforter of Yahweh, God, God comforts. After Nehemiah begins the book of Nehemiah, weeping over the condition of God's people. And this is what the Holy Spirit does with you and I. He weeps when our souls are polluted and broken down. He weeps because he's just that good. What do I mean by that? Restoration, today's message, is, the, is uh, restore, he restores my soul. That's the title of today's message. Restoration begins with compassion. You see, mercy and truth, the Bible says, you've got to bind them around your heart, put, wear them like a necklace, mercy and truth, and you'll find favor with God and man. But mercy always comes first. And the word, faith and patience run together. Grace and truth run together. Mercy and truth run together. And mercy comes first, except for two times in the entire Bible. Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Because though people do need truth to be able to repent from their choices they've made, you can't, you can't repent without truth because you don't know what's right and wrong. You need to have that truth to go in there and bring conviction. That's the word of God. And it creates this awareness of your true condition, and it creates weeping, then gives you the opportunity to then turn, which is what repentance is, turning from the thing that is destroying your soul in your life, turning to the thing that will restore your life, which would be God. But mercy always comes first. Because when people are broken, even if they've created their own bed, mercy is still the call of the day. So just like, okay, so the people of God in Nehemiah's day had done it to themselves. They turned against God. They rebelled against God. They didn't obey God. And God finally said, I'm just going to let you have your own way. So there, the destruction of their dignity and the decimation of their identity and the derailing of their destiny was their fault. But when it's time for restoration, what's the first thing God does? He begins to weep because they're his kids. We're his kids. He doesn't judge them. He weeps. That's why when you, some of you, that's why when you see somebody and they are, their life has fallen apart, you say, well, hey, they made their bed, let them lie in it. Well, guess what? Jesus is lying in it with them. Well, you're, you and I are out here pointing the finger. Jesus is lying in their bed with them. I remember one time we did some street ministry, and there was a guy downtown San Diego laying in the gutter. He was a heroin addict, and he was just laying in the gutter. And one of the guys that was on the team, one of our guys, laid down in the gutter with him face to face and shared the good news with him. That's Jesus. 
That's what Jesus does. It doesn't matter if he made his own bed. The only way he's going to get restored is if you lay down in the bed with him in the gutter of San Diego, downtown, in the streets, in front of God and everybody. That guy ends up getting delivered, and he was a mechanic who just, just made some bad decisions and ends up on drugs and addicted. He gets restored and ends up fixing cars for us. I was on staff at a church in East County. Starts fixing cars in the parking lot, gets his license, and ends up having his own business. You see, now, could he keep doing drugs? No. Did he have to be told, stop being an idiot? Yes, but not first. The first thing he needed was somebody to weep with him. That's what Nehemiah did. So after Nehemiah builds the walls, rebuilds the life, now he's going after the soul. Because that was the problem to begin with, was they allowed their soul to be disconnected from their connection with God. And they began to tap into this world. And they began to become just like the rest of the world. Everybody around them, all the culture around them. You could tell no difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. You could tell no difference between the Jew and the Samaritan or the Persian or the Babylonian in that culture. So they had completely lost their souls and their connection with God. So, after Nehemiah builds the walls, Ezra comes in, who's the Bible teacher... And we're in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and this will bring this all home and show you why I'm saying that the Holy Spirit just went ahead and did what I was going to teach today. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, up to this point, it's all been about the external walls. A miracle in the marriage, a a blessing, a restoration of the finances, the healing of the physical body, getting the walls of the city built up so that your life isn't completely dismantled. But now... They're going to go after the core and the thing that's going to keep their life from falling apart again, which is their relationship with God. So in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 8, so, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. All the people came together and, and Ezra started reading from the Bible. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. That's the word of the Lord to many of you here today. That's the word of the Lord to many of you here today. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me that is quite bizarre, but it's the, it, it shows the sovereign ability of God to restore somebody. I asked Hope permission to share the story, and she was fine with it. I was engaged before. Uh, I was engaged to Hope. And um, um, my fiancé ended up committing suicide. And so I, when I heard the news, I was in Ohio, and I was completely... And shock, numb, and devastated. I mean, I, we had broken up at this point, but still, she was very, very, very precious to me, obviously. And I was, I was just numb. I was with my family visiting them, and I, was just, I remember sitting at a restaurant. I'm sitting at a table, and I'm just staring down at the table. You can't eat. You can't talk. You, everything is just chatter. I was a real, I was a real killjoy. And... Um, I went out into the car, and I'm sitting in the back seat of the car. And the Lord said to me this verse. 
as you keep reading. Then he said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's just such a strange application. But what had come upon me was a spirit of grief. And rightly so. I mean, it was a situation where you would grieve. And this grief and oppression and sorrow came upon me that was suffocating me. And the Lord spoke this verse to my heart. The Word of God. He spoke Scripture to my heart. And He said, this day is holy. This day is holy. It was such, it's hard to even to teach because it's so sovereign that it's hard to teach something that God does sovereignly. But he uses the scripture and says, John, today is a new day. This day is holy. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And in the backseat of that car, from that moment to this, I have not grieved once. It completely left me. The compassion didn't leave. The compassion on her family didn't leave. I've talked to her mom. I talked to her mom just recently. I mean, the mercy and the compassion, but the grief, the sorrow was gone. And he says, today's holy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It seems it just doesn't seem right to celebrate and to have joy. He literally tells them to throw a party. It's just amazing. But that's part of restoration. It's an interesting thing that we have separated God and fun. It's really ruined Christianity, to be honest with you. Isn't it weird that he says, today is holy to the Lord. And the next thing out of God's mouth is, so throw a party. Throw a dang party. That's what he said. This day is holy to me. It's, it's special. It's set apart. What's so holy about it? You've come back to me. So let's party. He didn't say, let's get immoral and get drunk that's our that that's the culture's definition of partying god says eat until you puke that's what he said read it and he said drink the sweet in other words just eat until you pass out you see we think fasting is holy which is true we don't think feasting is holy but he right here just just said today's holy this is a great day My people have come back to me. Now, let's just eat and drink and just celebrate your brains out. Today is holy to the Lord. I think we've just really lost our joy because we don't identify it with us being holy. But God is fun. I'll tell you this last thing. And then what I want to do is um, I'm up against the clock here, which is unfortunate because this is a pretty holy thing going on here today. Some of you are really being healed. Some of you were just weeping just a little while ago. Like I, I, there were a few of you that were weeping. That's half of the process. When, when the Lord speaks truth to you and it convicts your heart 
and to bring sorrow. That's godly sorrow. That's a good thing. When you can't feel godly, godly sorrow, you're in huge trouble. When you can't feel the conviction of the Lord that that's wrong, you've got to turn. That means you're becoming a sociopath, okay? It means your conscience is getting dull. You, you, you're, 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 you don't feel guilt and shame over sin, which is a dangerous thing not to be able to feel. But you can't get stuck there. And that's what was happening with them. They, they had revealed to them through reading the Word of God, you guys are no different than the world. And you've committed a spiritual adultery on God. And really you've broken His heart. And that Word of God, they listened to it all day long. They stood for like eight hours. And the Word of God went into them and it pierced them and they remembered who they were. Oh my God, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm an heir to heaven. What am I doing? And it caused them to begin to weep. And that weeping was part of the cleansing. See, people who love God love truth. We love being rebuked. We love correction. It cleanses us and it makes us sane again. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm not, I don't want to be polluted with the world. I want to shine. And then... And you're supposed to move forward from there into joy, but a religious spirit will cause you to grieve and be sorrowful and, and then get depressed and walk around all kind of grumpy in the name of God. In the name of, and that's why God saw him weeping and he said, oh, okay, good. I'm glad you did that. Okay, enough of that. Now, let's throw a party. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, Satan does not want you to do this. He does not want us to do this. Satan does not want us to celebrate. But that's really, I believe, the call of the day. I really believe that's what we need to do right now. I don't want to suggest that we fabricate anything, but I do want to obey the word of the Lord here. Some of you were weeping earlier. Now you need to laugh. Some of you, the enemy has so oppressed you uh, that you just have lost your bearings, your senses, your center in God. You've lost all your joy. And I'm going to tell you, the garment of praise really does lift the spirit of heaviness. It's an amazing weapon. It's amazing. I love to celebrate in Satan's face because he comes to bring things that really oppress you. And recently, the Lord has really been restoring my joy internally. He's been doing some things that only he could do inside of me. But there are things I can do to participate uh, and partner with him. And that is I can celebrate even when I don't feel like it because it, 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 it not only dismantles the enemy's works. It is my way of saying you, are, you will not dictate my destiny and you will not define my relationship with God. And you don't, you, I will not give you permission to steal my joy. So shut your face. I'm going to worship my Jesus. And you just begin to praise and praise and praise. And that helps you begin to become who you really are again, which is a child of the king. And this is all temporary anyway. And we get to go on into glory and laugh at the devil for eternity. So why don't we start now? Amen. So I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest that, that we all stand. And uh, Mark and the band, I'm going to ask that we, we, uh, that we, we celebrate just a little bit. And uh, we've got just about five minutes here, maybe seven. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, I'm going to give you permission. I'm going to call you to 
to, uh, two, two things here, real quick. One, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that we all put on the garment of praise. Okay, now listen, that is something that you have to choose to put on. I put on this very cool shirt today on purpose. I ironed it and I put it on. Before I had this, it was just in the, in the closet. I had to put it on so I could look as good as I looked this morning. You have to choose to put on the garment of praise. Nobody can put it on for you and nobody can praise for you. You have to praise for yourself. The second and last thing I'm going to say is this. Don't separate God and fun. God is the God of joy and celebration. He loves it. If you're in sports, He loves it when you play. He's at the game. He really is. If you play an instrument, He's right there with you while you're playing your instrument. He's the God of joy. He loves that stuff. God is with you and He's laughing when you're laughing. He's celebrating when you're celebrating. If you're going off into fun that's polluted, He will convict you and say, that's not the kind of fun. Let's go over here and let's go surfing. I made those waves. Let's surf together. He's with you in the things that bring you joy. I want you to know that about God. He's a God of joy. So let's celebrate in here a little bit. Let's break some oppression and let's re-identify with a God of joy today. Amen? All right, let's go.